Psalms chapter 6, verses 11 to 14. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Oh, Father, I ask for your help now in delivering this word so that I do it in a right spirit and according to truth. Help me to be faithful to what's in the text and not to say anything amiss nor to awaken any affections that are carnal or out of proportion to your truth. I pray your protection on us from Satan and I pray that our hearts would be sensitive to your leading and your illumination. And so I pray for the conversion of sinners who are without Christ still and for the strengthening of saints and the purifying of all our lives that we would resist sin and give ourselves wholly to God for your great purposes in the world. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the greatest privileges of my life is to be able to spend so much time dealing in the greatest realities in the universe that I find in the Bible. I am privileged to be commissioned to study and to pray and to figure things out and to commune with God over His Word and then to try to think through how to say things that I find there. That's an awesome privilege. I, I do live in the real world. I live in the same world you do. I have to brush my teeth and I have to put storm windows down and put towels under freezers when they leak and figure out why the car is not working. I live in that world, but God has, in his wonderful, kind providence, granted me to have a calling where the greatest things in the world are my bread and butter. And you don't have to be a pastor to enjoy that. You don't have to be a pastor in order to set your mind on things that are above and not on things that are on the earth. To be caught up into great things and glorious things and magnificent realities. You, you can do just what I did yesterday. So yesterday... Noel is coming home after being away for three weeks, taking care of her sister's children in Illinois so that her sister could do a mission trip. 
So my wife is coming home after three weeks with our little girl, and uh, I'm on my way to the airport at 10 o'clock down Hiawatha. The radio is on by default, NPR News, and it hits me. Somebody must have been praying. It hits me. God is so good to me. We've all been safe. We've all been healthy. She's on her way home. I think I should turn the radio off and just commune with God here for a little bit. So I turned the radio off. And I said out loud, by memory, then I saw the new heavens and the new earth. For the first heavens and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a voice, a great voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is with men, and He will be with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be among them. And He will wipe away every tear from their faces, and death will be no more. Neither will there be mourning nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And as I'm driving, I'm seeing everything in relation to this Great and glorious coming reality. The grass is going to be new. The grain elevators are going to be new. McDonald's, Burger King, the construction equipment at the new tunnel, it's all going to be new. And I'm just... I'm just basking in the brevity of this world, the surety of the age to come, the glory of God being here, all my tears, all my frustrations, all my disappointments, all my depressions and all my aches gone forever and everything made new in a new heaven and a new earth that will put this one into the shadow. And I get there to the airport and I park and walk in and I head down concourse E to gate number 10. I'm not in a stupor. I'm alive. I see things. I see the casino ad. And there is no inclination to want to get rich in this world. I see short skirts and provocative dress. And there is no desire to fantasize or lust. I smell the cinnamon and the sweet rolls. And I see those little frozen yogurt cups full of brown chocolate 
frozen yogurt, and there is no bondage to appetite. Everything belongs to God. Everything is in its place. Some good, some bad. And everything has to do with this great and glorious reality that's going to put all that into the shadow someday. And I thought about these people. And I thought, most of these people are in a dream world. They really think that cinnamon rolls and frozen yogurt and casino winnings and short skirts are where it's at. I got home with Noelle and Talitha and we had lunch together and showed me some pictures and put Talitha to bed and I went in to look at this text that John just read to you. And I looked at it and I thought, look at this. Just look at this text. This is incredible. Everything's here. The great things are here. Just list them off for you. Starting at verse 12. Death, sin, life, God, Christ, mortal bodies, desires, law, grace. These massive realities. These are the big things in life. These are the huge issues. And as I meditated on it, I thought, you know, as I stand there tomorrow morning and say that, there are going to be people in this room who don't care about this at all. There's some of you sitting there who have no emotional resonance with what I am saying at all about God and Christ and sin and salvation and heaven and hell and law and grace and desires and the body and deliverance being the big, glorious, great issues of life. You don't feel that right now at all. All. You frankly are very excited about the new CD you just got. Watching a ball game. Wearing a new outfit. Will anybody notice? Getting a new computer. Adding a room on the house. This is what gets you emotionally. And my venting here about the great things lands on you dead. To which I want to say with the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5, Wake up, O sleeper, from the dead, and Christ will give you life. Don't be like the person who goes with a little garden shovel to the Grand Canyon stands on the precipice of that majesty, turns his back on it, kneels down, and digs a little trough in the ground and says to all of his friends, Hey, come here. Look at this. Look at my trough. 
Isn't this cool? Look at my trough. So, if your heart is being carried away right now with small things, and not God, and not the cross, and not Christ, and not the solution to sin, and not heaven, and not union with Jesus, and you're really excited about nothings, then stand up, turn around, and look at the canyon. Look at the canyon this morning. If you feel like, I looked at it already, I like my trough, then pray, pray that God would open your eyes. Look, this is not, this is not funny at all. Because sin has such a power over our lives that it takes our minds, it takes our hearts, and it just shrivels them up. So we have no capacity to enjoy God. No capacity to marvel at grace and salvation and the new heavens and the new earth and tears being taken away by King Jesus someday. And all we can get excited about is troughs and trifles in our lives. That's sin. That's a disease. It's a horrible, horrible disease that grips most people in the world. And if you're one of them, you should just be whispering right now. Because just a little thought, I mean just a little thought, will make it clear that if you're more excited about a trough you've dug than a canyon God dug, you're sick. And you should pray, Oh God, heal me. Give taste buds to the tongue of my soul so that when I taste of the things that John's going to talk about in this text, I will taste them. I will lick and just find it nothing, which has been the case all my life. Pray that you be healed. That God would wake you up to reality. Big reality. So you don't have to waste your life on trifles. Most people are very content with trifles. They feel so good. And they have no taste for God. No taste for heaven. No taste for holiness, no taste for righteousness, no taste for Christ, no taste for justice in Him, no taste for heaven, no fear of hell. They're blind. We're going to spend two weeks on this text. It is so dense with reality. Where we live and where God intersects with where we live. The reason we're going to spend two weeks on it today and next Sunday is because as I pondered it, I saw two things that need to be done and I, I didn't think I could do them both on one Sunday. The first one is to describe the battlefield in this text and the participants in the battle and what's at stake in the battle. There's a battle going on in verses 11 to 14 of Romans 6. And the second thing I want to do is describe the way to win it. 
How do you fight it to win? And that's a separate thing. We need to understand it first. What's the nature of the battle? And my guess is that if we understand the nature of the battle and what's at stake in it and who the participants are, then we'll be well on our way to the victory. So here's what I see. I see eight things. And I'll mention them. Boom, 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 boom. And I want you to see them with me in the text as the description of the battlefield or the conflict. Number one, there is a kingly throne here or a reign. Verse 12, do not let sin reign. So there's a reign being contested here. Resist. Don't let sin have this throne. There's a throne. There's a reign. Number two. There's a challenger to the throne. There's a revolutionary, an insurrectionist, a rebel trying to take over the throne. Its name is sin. Do not let sin reign. Verse 12. So he's in revolt. He's in mutiny. He intends to lead a coup and gain control of the throne And Paul says, no, don't let him. Number three, there is a castle under attack, and it is your body. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Your body matters. Sin, this pretender to the throne, would... Reign in your body. Number four. There are servants in the castle. They may be taken captive and made into secret agents behind the castle walls to seduce and capture parts of the castle. These are called desires. Do not let your sin reign, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. Now the word is neutral. I know the translations all say lusts or evil desires. The word is simply neutral. It's the same word used for Paul's desire to go and be with Christ. His desire to go to the Philippians. It's a neutral word. There are neutral servants in your life called desires. They're neither bad nor good, but can be taken captive by sin or put into the use of righteousness. Fifth, there is incremental surrender possible. That's what I get from the word obey. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body to obey its desires. If sin, the leader of this revolt, takes captive some of your servant desires and corrupts them and sends them back into the castle where they belong and they yield and take captive a part of the castle, there is an incremental surrender. These desires will promise immunity if you capitulate and reward 
and they lie. They're deceitful. Number six, there are weapons in the castle that may be taken captive and turned around and used against the throne for unrighteous purposes. The reference here is to the parts of your body. Eyes, ears, tongue, hands, feet, sexual organs. Verse 13. Do not go on presenting your members, that is the parts of your body, to sin as weapons of unrighteousness. Now I know your version says instruments. This word is used four other times in the New Testament. One in the ministry of Jesus, three in the Apostle Paul. It is always translated weapons. It means weapons. And the reason I think that's important is because the whole imagery I'm developing here is at least partly in Paul's mind. You got a, a throne, you got a contender for the throne sin, you got weapons of defense or complicity. It's not just instruments here. These are weapons in the, in the wall of the castle intended to do battle for justice and righteousness, which sin seditiously takes captive of by coming in, duping the servants called desires, the desires becoming corrupt, take a part of your body and turn it around and blow the place up if you're not rescued. Seventh, there is a true king over the realm, and he is God. Verse 13, again. Do not surrender your members to sin. The rebel contender for the throne, so he can make weapons of unrighteousness out of your body parts. But what? Present yourselves to God. As those alive from the dead and your members as weapons of righteousness to God. He's on the throne. Sin is contending for this throne. He wants to reign because he doesn't like God's reign. So this is calling you to be loyal to your king. Be loyal to your king. This is talking to believers. That's, I hope, clear. This is not talking to unbelievers. This is how believers are to deal with sin and their own bodies. Finally, number eight. There is a constitutional authority in this kingdom, in this castle, and it is grace, not law. Verse 14. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the constitutional authority of law, you are under the constitutional authority of grace. And we'll talk about that next week as how that works. Let me give you three comments on these eight elements of the battlefield and the warfare to show you how they work together. Number one, God is our king. The castle, the castle belongs to God. Every other contender is an alien. Give your body to God. Number two, sin is a power and not just an act. So many people think that sin is like stealing or killing or lying. And of course, that is sin. But that's not the main problem. 
If that were the main problem, willpower could save us. The main problem is that sin is a power. And it takes captive desires and turns them into seditious servants that brings parts of the body under control and makes them instruments or weapons of unrighteousness. Third observation, last one. The desires of the body are not sin, but they may become sin. They can be captured by the power of sin and distorted and corrupted. Look at verse 12. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its. Now that its there refers to the body, not sin. You can see that in Greek. You can't see it in English because it agrees in gender with the noun body and not sin. So, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey the body's desires. So something happened to these desires. God gave you your desires, hunger, thirst, sex, sleep, rest. These are not evil. But when sin takes them, and corrupts them and distorts them. They become anti-God. They become Judas. I thought of Judas. He's on the inner ring. Judas, one of the disciples. And it says, Satan entered into him. It's like here. Sin wants to reign in your mortal bodies. And it takes an innocent, good desire captive. And makes it a Judas desire. A betrayal desire. So now when you follow that desire, you sin against Christ. I thought of Samson and Delilah as another picture of it. Samson. It is perfectly legitimate for Samson to satisfy the desires of his wife Delilah. While Delilah is a faithful wife. But if Delilah becomes a a partner with the enemy, then to satisfy her desires will destroy everything. And it did. Delilah desires. Judas desires. See where the battle has to be fought here? Sin, this power, taking captive. Let's take a couple of examples. The desire for food. It's a good servant. But when sin takes it, what do we get? Gluttony. Bulimia. Anorexia, death. Desire for drink, that's a good desire. When sin takes it, what do we get? Alcoholism, bondage to caffeine. 
The Apostle Paul said, I will not be enslaved by anything. The desire for sexual satisfaction, it's a good desire. It has served the human race well in the service of procreation and marital, marital joy. And when sin takes it, turns that good servant into a seditious, behind-the-walls, complicitous servant of the enemy, what do we get? Lust for pornography, lust for masturbation, lust for fornication, lust for adultery, lust for homosexual activity, and the good servant becomes a turncoat and a Judas desire and kills us. Or the desire for rest and sleep. Are you tired this morning? That's okay. That's as innocent as the day is long. God put the desire for sleep and the need for sleep into us. And what happens if sin comes in there, takes captive that love of rest and sleep? It rises, and what do we get? Sloth. Laziness. Can you make those distinctions? You see the difference between the way God designed us ultimately to be and what this power sin does? So next week, how do you fight? How do you fight? And oh, how wrong it would be. Wouldn't it be wrong to say, well... The real issue here is those members of our bodies doing acts of unrighteousness like lying and stealing and whatever else. And I'd say, no, no, no. That is not where the battle's going to be fought. Beneath actions, there are desires. And beneath desires, there's the power of sin. And beneath the power of sin, there's union with Jesus Christ. And beneath union with Jesus Christ, there is the historic work of Christ on the cross where He did something once for all for us and we experience something in Him. And if you don't build from there up, you will either be one colossal lecher or one colossal legalist. You will not succeed in the battle if you fight at the level of action or even the level of desire. So come next week and we'll talk about how do you fight this thing? Where do you go? How do you think? What do you do? How do you feel in order to win this battle against the contender against the throne? And I just have one last question for you as you go. Who is your king. This afternoon when you leave here, who will reign in your life? And I just plead with you, don't head down the e-concourse of Sunday afternoon and think cinnamon bonbons, frozen yogurt, some good winnings at the casino and a nice short skirt is where it's at. It's not where it's at. Don't marvel at your little troughs that you've dug or anybody has dug. Get up, turn around, look at the Grand Canyon of God. 
of the cross of this table. Stand by the table this afternoon and marvel at what that bread and what that cup means. Christ died so that he might purchase the presence of God in your life as a glorious, enjoyed Grand Canyon and not a judge. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I just plead with you to work in the hearts of your people and the people that are not yet your people. To teach us how to do battle with sin without becoming legalists or lechers. To teach us, oh God, the great things of the universe. Fill our minds this afternoon on this precious Lord's Day, which we are to keep holy to the Lord. Fill our minds with the things of God. Catch us up into the presence of Yourself. Make our hearts endeared to You through Jesus Christ so that we know that our sins are forgiven and that You smile upon us with grace. Do that for Your creatures here in this room, I pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.